0: Hi everyone, I'm Ben, and I'm Will, and uh, welcome to this series of Will and Ben, the Wildlife Man.
1: Hey Ben, good to see you. How's your week been?
0: Hey Will, yeah, not five. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been quite a busy week actually, but there's been some really nice experiences and seen some really cool stuff actually. Um, you you look like you've just got
1: back from a run actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very especially fit at the moment. Definitely quite sweaty and <laughs> still in my running kit, I'm afraid. Not making any effort this evening. Uh yeah, yeah, I just got up for a run. Um and yeah, I've been loving doing loads of running over lockdown and just seeing everything. And uh, but it must be lovely to run up over up at home again. I'm really looking forward to uh, a set and run in mid August. Actually, Ben.
0: Um, indeed, indeed. That was a very unsubtle way of of oh, getting yeah. that yeah. At the beginning yeah. of the podcast. To be honest, but you know <laughs> it had to be done. It had to be done. Yeah, no, totally. Oh, so funny. we we have decided to run. Was it forty two kilometers or a, whole a marathon? A whole marathon in mid August for my birthday. What crazy nutters we are!
1: <laughs> and it's over like it's, uh, the clean the peninsula's coast path as well so it's by no means flat but we're not doing it simply for your birthday are we?
0: Not at all no we decided to raise some money for Bardsey Burden Field Observatory on the island that I used to live on um, because yes yeah, as, as many people know you know these places haven't been able to receive visitors that's their primary source of income over this year so hopefully we'll garner some funds to support them as well but should be fun I'm looking forward to it I think I looked at the I think it's going to be over well the equivalent elevational gain is Snowden I think as well
1: (laughs) really a bit more running I think (laughs) but no very important I I mean as you know I met you in um, when was it 2015 summer 2015 I came over to volunteer with the OBS um, and it was just the most amazing thing working on the island like moth traps every morning and seeing the most brilliant birds because obviously like, you've lived on your uh lived on the island for what 12 years was it a long yeah. time a long time with only birds to keep you company uh, <laughs> a social limpets, if you were oh. uh, <laughs> no um, but it's so important and you get the most amazing things there was that what was it, a Mars bunting or something yeah that's right yeah brought in thousands of people and what i saw i think we saw well you we see owls There's you've got families of little owls on the island and okay. uh, you've even seen orca off the off the island isn't there and rissa's dolphins it's just everything it's such an important place yeah. and yeah what what in your whole time living on the island what do you reckon has been the most important, exciting thing that you've seen? Cool.
0: That's a that's a very tough question. Yeah. That is a tough question. Um, goodness me, I'm trying to think now. There's so much. I, think it's hard to pin it down to one thing because there's just there's always something to look at. There's always, but that it's just always so rich the experiences that you have out there. I think partly because it's so cut off from the rest of the mainland from the rest of the world in a way so you are just totally immersed in the landscape in the wildlife there so everything seems that much more vivid and as well i think to be honest even though it's nothing rare for the island itself you know sitting out at night with thousands of bank shearwaters flying around your head calling that bizarre crazy wailing sort of call and there's just you know you just see these shapes looming overhead with the starry night sky there's nothing quite that matches that sort of experience and it's just insane
1: it's like one of the most important breeding sites in the world right for these like third
0: or third or fourth biggest colony in the world yeah
1: it's just crazy and it is the most like wonderful thing seeing hearing all these otters like warbling and yodeling or whatever they're doing overhead having <laughs> sirens drawing sailors to the to the shore but uh you are obviously an excellent excellent birder but that was all basically all came from working with the obs, right becoming a exactly bird ringer, yeah. following um the, the more experienced uh, ringers around when you were littler and um i remember going around with you and we were ringing uh well the mang water chicks and these massive beautiful fluffy things and uh yeah it's just the most magical experience and it's so good that the obs is there to give so many poor people the opportunity and i think it must have inspired because you get all these young birders and young people like i was coming over and it's just so inspiring and to lose that i think would be kind of really devastating so it's such an important cause To get people really, really hands-on with our wildlife. Absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah, no. I'm really hoping we'll be able to get some decent funds to uh, support them. So, if anyone's watching this podcast, please head over (laughs) to uh, our fundraiser, which will be
1: up after today's podcast. Actually, won't it? Yeah, we'll get out on all our social media accounts. um, Absolutely, on the link from wherever you clicked onto this podcast from. But yeah, super important. Um, what about more? Uh, recent things that you've done this week then, what have you, what have you been up to? Well, actually, after speaking about
0: Bardsley, probably one of my the highlights from my last week was actually kayaking out to the island last week on Tuesday. We left really early in the morning because we wanted to pop out there for a day to say hello to the people on the island who have been there through lockdown because it's opening up now on the island. And uh, we kayaked off from Aberdowne Beach at about six o'clock in the morning and it was just the most incredible kayaking journey across the bardsey sound the notorious bardsey sound for its tides and waves yeah it was a flat calm day and my dad knows the tides so well so he's you know you feel safe to be able to follow his lead and there were just manx shearwaters flying around us and puffins and there were porpoise through the sound sort of surfacing meters away from the kayak and it was just spectacular and it just yeah it's just like being transported in a into a different sort of world really and yeah it was just one of those amazing experiences um so that I think that was one of the highlights funnily enough you know <laughs> kayaking out
1: to them I bet and like and going back to bardsey again I'm just like reminiscing so I've visited a couple <laughs> and it's just incredible because there it looks west out into the Irish East, Irish sea and but behind you, you just can't see the land because there's a big old mountain on the island and so you feel so isolated. Yeah, but It just means that there's just so many interesting things like grayling butterflies around all the tops yeah. and migratory moths everywhere, but also the plant life is fascinating as well, isn't it? What are the um, autumn ladies' tresses? You get a load of those amazing, orchids, don't you? Yeah, all over the... All over the Um, the meadows like right in front of your house and you get a load of other stuff in in the meadows as well don't you yes absolutely
0: one that we will uh we'll be hearing a lot more about in the podcast later on I believe
1: (laughs) yes perfect um yeah it's so good and obviously it all ties into my stuff on insects and all the yes brilliant the most important like all the farmers well the importance of wildflower meadows is like really shown with how many insects you can see in it and it's just absolutely vital and you're going to chat to us now aren't you all about um, a certain type of plant which is excellent for pollinating as well indeed yeah should we um should we dive in let's go let's go
0: I was probably about five or six years old when I first encountered the charismatic little plant we know as yellow rattle I can still vividly remember those hot days of late summer when our little wildflower meadow would be ready for cutting, the smell of the dry grass stalks in the baking sun, and the sound as we walked through the vivid mix of flowers and plant life that it supported. This particular plant certainly sticks in my memory, one which, when brown and crisped in the sun, would sound like a gentle rattle as you brush past, and would produce an immensely satisfying noise if you ran through a patch containing hundreds of the stalks, with their clump of pea-shaped pods containing the seeds of their progeny. Of course, I wasn't really meant to run through and trample the haylage just before harvest. Little did I know then the significance of this humble little plant and the role it plays in both creating and maintaining some of our country's most diverse and insect-rich habitats. Have you ever wandered through a wildflower meadow in late spring? I hope so. There's a thrum of crickets and grasshoppers filling the air. Bumblebees and all manner of winged pollinators in a frenzy to sip nectar from a thousand flowering heads. All about you there is life. A blaze, and explosion of colour. What was a plain green canvas of ground and low grass just months ago is now full of perhaps 50, perhaps 100 species of plants. From the vetches and clovers to the oxide daisies, spires of orchids, ragged robin and buttercups and hawkspits. Delicate eyebright and stitchworts hiding in the lower sward, overshadowed above by pignut and sorrel. And that's not to mention the grasses. It's a truly breathtaking sight, and virtually no two meadows are alike, their composition of species changing with underlying geology, soil type, and all manner of other governing factors. Wildflower meadows are one of our richest habitats for plant life and insects. A meadow containing as many as 150 different species of flowers and grasses, and some 40 species of insects can be contained within a square metre. And yet it's becoming harder and harder to come across these jewels of diversity, as the traditional farming practices that maintained such habitats have given way to modern farming techniques, and other areas have been lost to development, roads, and all manner that have progressed the development of our country. We've lost at least 97% of our hay meadows since the 1930s. A gradual and rapid conversion of this colourful tapestry of unique field assemblages into a singularly monotone colour of green, as fields were ploughed and reseeded with species like ryegrass to better support silage production for intensive agriculture. It's a shocking loss and goes some way to explaining the resulting collapse of our insect populations in this country. Yet all is not lost... Scattered fragments of these precious meadows remain, and slowly more and more are being restored back to what they once were. And amidst the sward of grasses and flowers, there is one species in particular that plays a crucial role in this story of restoration. The meadow maker is how it is known to some, hay rattle to others, and yellow rattle to perhaps use its most official name. Most would perhaps not consider this humble plant an ecosystem engineer when seen in a patch of grass. Its hooked yellow flowers arching off a bulbous green calyx and its height not often exceeding your average 30 centimeter ruler. Yet it's not what you see above ground that's really important. It's what goes on beneath the surface, under land, which is really crucial. Yellow rattle is a hemiparasite, a parasitic plant which still exists through photosynthesis but also acquires an awful lot of its nutrients by stealing from the roots of other plants. As the roots of the yellow rattle develop in the spring, they seek out the roots of other plants, especially more vigorous grasses, and proceed to siphon off water and nutrients as those around them attempt to grow. What this results in is a stunted growth, suppressing those grasses and other victims around them by some 60%. This allows for a plethora of other flowering plants to flourish in the areas where these usually dominating grasses grow. And so it presents a valuable tool in reverting green grassy pastures back into the rich tapestry which so enriches our meadowlands. Those wanting to undergo this transformation to remedy that 97% loss of wildflower meadows can use yellow rattle as an important engineer to do half the work for them but it's not quite as simple as chucking a load of rattle seed pods over a field of grass and sitting back to watch those flowers grow. To sow rattle, it's best to cut your field really short between July and September, removing all the grass and hay from the field before also removing the thick layer of dead grass and moss, called the thatch. This is called scarification and can be done on a small scale with a rake, harrow or strimmer. Essentially, this exposes the bare soil needed for rattle seeds to establish themselves in. Once scarified, you can now sow your rattle seeds by hand and scatter them across the field. This needs to be done before November, because rattle seeds are quite fussy and need around four months of temperatures dipping below 5 degrees Celsius to germinate in the spring. Yellow rattle is an annual plant, which means it completes its life cycle in one year and so relies on the successful establishment of the seeds it distributes to grow the following year if it is to persist. If rattle is to flourish alongside its accompanying wildflowers, you have to have the management right too. It's no good cutting the hay in late May before the rattle has had a chance to set seed, because it will have no offspring to pass on for the following year. Similarly, you can't just leave a field without being cut and expect it to do its magic. Ideally, it's best to leave a meadow until late July, August or even September before it's cut and baled giving the late flowering plants a chance to provide food for all those wonderful pollinators and for species like rattle to scatter their seeds. Following this, fields should ideally be grazed through the autumn and up to the new year to keep secondary grass growth at bay. For those with smaller patches of meadowland or even just a little patch in your garden, you can use a lawnmower or strimmer to cut the meadow in summertime, removing all the hay off the field and then cutting the area once or twice again through the autumn to replicate grazing if you don't have a few sheep or cow to hand. Over the course of a few years, it's immensely satisfying to watch as your field becomes gradually transformed. The rattle slowly thins out the rigorous grasses through its root-tapping parasitism, and gradually the wildflowers appear and begin to take hold. With the emergence of wildflowers will come a whole host of insectivorous life, and finches and pipits will thrive as plants set seed in the summertime filling the air with tinkling calls and a thrum of chattering calls. It's mid-July, and I've just returned from a little cycle ride from our home on the Lillian Peninsula in North Wales. The ride has left me feeling a bit depressed, taking me past some of the area's most intensive dairy and sheep farms. Fields of monotonous green silage lay with barely a sound of birdsong in the air, and hardly a flower to be seen. I walked down the rocky track to our house, nestled on the side of the mountain of Munythriw, and suddenly I'm jolted out of my gloom as a huge flock of finches rise up from the little field beside our house in front of me. Goldfinches, chaffinches, greenfinches and linnets rise up in a unison in an explosion of colour. Our little meadow below me glistening in the late afternoon sunlight as sorrel, hawk-spit flowers, clovers and eyebright flowers catch the sun. Our little oasis has transformed since the humble little rattle began working its magic alongside our annual management regime and it's heartening to think how quick this can happen. It fills me with hope as I think about how we might set about reversing the loss of this precious habitat. And I walk through the field to brush past the dry stems of the yellow rattle, which sussurate and fritter about as I remember from my earliest memories, the humble meadow maker. The
1: meadow maker then, that's so cool. I'd like no like no idea. I mean, I've heard about plants and trees working together and things like that, but this hadn't even occurred to me about a little thing like yellow rattle going and uh, having such a huge effect. It must be fascinating. So much we don't know about plants, isn't there? <laughs> there is, a bit, isn't there? I know it's just a hidden world as well
0: beneath the ground, isn't it? As we know from last week's podcast, but. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, there's so much more to find out, though. Um, have you read that? Oh, yeah, I know you've read that, actually. The Hidden Life of Trees book.
0: Oh, that is just the best, isn't it? It's fantastic.
1: Just how everything went, how plants are so much more active than we... I would yep. have ever thought, oh, it's so cool. I have yeah. very little knowledge about um, uh, this yellow rattle. But one thing, as I do remember it, it comes with bumblebees. And there's a species in, uh, in uh, the Alps and in Europe called Bombus were and I don't really know what its common name is, but maybe it can be called the robbing bum- bumblebee or something, because it's got kind of like a middle length tongue, which means that its tongue isn't quite long enough to get to the nectar of yellow rattle or monkshood flowers or things like that with long corollas or pollen or nectar tubes. And so what this bumblebee has evolved to have these really kind of sharp and toothed teeth toothed man- mandibles and what it does it goes and sits at the side of the flower and then nibbles the way through mm-hmm. in a tiny little hole and the le- nearer the nectar source of course <laughs> and then it sticks its shorter tongue in and steals the nectar from the, the yellow rattle in this case and Amazing. it's just it's fascinating that um <clears throat> that this all happens and it's not that great for for the plant because it just bypasses the pollinate the pollen and so the plant isn't pollinated. But what is really cool is that although they're adapted to um to be able to do this, it seems that it's a learned behavior because Dave Goulson, the big bumblebee researcher, did this amazing study in the in the Swiss Alps and he showed that in one field with all of the uh, for all the bombus were probably from a single a single brood, a single nest. They all did it on one side of the, on of the yellow rattle, and then in another field far away, they all did it on the other side. And so it must be just the first bee in the springtime coming out, and then realizing it's got these massive old teeth and it chews through, and they, oh, found some nectar, and then it <laughs> goes back and tells all its mates or sisters in the, in the uh, in the nest, and then just continues, and it's like this amazing learnt behaviour. Uh, exploiting this poor yellow rattle <laughs> probably that's, stopping it doing is amazingly useful uh, meadow making uh, abilities but <laughs> one of these terrible bees oh <laughs> uh,
0: that's amazing i had no idea what a fascinating uh, relationship that's uh that's <laughs> <very cool. laughs>
1: Quite a one sided relationship
0: yeah well it, that's the uh, the parasitizing plant in a way sort of being yeah. parasitized.
1: Nice. <laughs> Maybe it's <was> all karma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, one thing I was thinking while listening to that is that what if, so, should you be sowing these um, yellow rattan things on like verges to stop them being overgrown by like succession and things like that, and uh, brambles and whatever? And are they a really useful plant that councils should be using? for example
0: absolutely i mean that's a great point i think i think in some places they're already trying to do that and actually to try and prevent the sort of growth of grasses that then needs you know the hedgerows and things to be cut to allow more visibility around roads what they're actually doing is is trying to sow an establish yellow rattle on the verge sides yeah. to try and keep those more rigorous grasses down you still get flowers but it keeps that visibility down because they generally don't grow as much as plants, but, um, sorry as grasses, but I don't know how sort of far and wide that spread yet. I know that, you know, plant life and the likes of those organizations are trying to work closely with councils, even just to get a slightly better cutting regime in place for verge, verge side management anyway. And I think if, if yellow rattle could be incorporated into that, it would be even, you know, just that bit better. It would be amazing. Um, because Verges are perfect because they need to be cut once or twice a year anyway, and so by putting the other rattle in, it's actually like aiding that, and it would also reduce the amount of work. It's like it's like a win-win, really. Totally,
1: absolutely. Like, and I'm quite excited by this because in my valley at home, the main issue, like everybody loves the wildflowers and the verges, but they're all like, because you live in Wales as well. The 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 country lanes are so small, and it can be at times quite dangerous if you're like rising around and don't want to to crash or anything because and if there's a big old patch of grass just growing into the road it can be quite dangerous but they all the people love the wildflowers they don't want them to be cut they love all the insects love all the birds relying on it and so using yellow rattle to bring down the verges get and then in terms and then even increasing the amount of wildflowers and Upon this. as you said it's just perfect for everybody and even economically it saves so much money right
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah no if um any i think you know any you know people living in towns or villages or that are part of community groups and things in these areas <laughs> if they can you know pressure or talk to their councils about trying to do this and it could spread you know all across the country in that way um it would be awesome it would be so cool yeah
1: it, would is it literally help everything right uh all my research is the actual application of it from the insect migration world to help these insect migrants is providing more food through wildflowers and providing everything through that and also it must have such important mental health benefits like i uh, my friend she's working on a, a sort of mental health third year project all about um just through geography but she's working about how the sea could really help people and i certainly find that i feel so much better after going for like a bee hunt or an insect hunt or simply just a run outside and seeing a lot of life and i'm sure well probably everybody listening to this will agree that it's it just makes you feel happy seeing something so full of like joyous life and so my question for you is that if you've talked about how yellow rattle you can help plant yellow rattle and get in your gardens but is there anything else that you'd recommend um in order to plant to help our uh bird life uh insects and people things our listeners can do either in their own gardens or talking to their councils about or um yeah anything i think i think there's
0: so much i think. You know, there's there's so much we can do and people have been doing it. And like through lockdown, I I think some places will have probably suffered more as people have like spent the time tidying up their garden. I hate that word tidy. I think that's like my absolute, oh, I appreciate that some people like things looking neat, but... Um, you know, letting, letting areas just grow a little bit wilder and at least setting aside sort of patches that can go that bit wilder. But sorry, going back to that, yeah, through lockdown, you know, I've seen so much online, loads of people doing amazing things in their little patch of land that they have themselves if they are lucky enough to have a garden or even just hanging, you know, a little pot of flowers or wildflowers off their veranda or something if they're living, you know, in an apartment or something. But there's so much as individuals we can do and it does make a difference as well, you know, there's there's a lot of people on the planet, and if everyone does their little something, it does mount up, I know we need to talk to councils and government, you know, to try and change things a bit more of a systemic level, but, like, it does have a massive impact, and there's so much we can do, a pond is probably one of the biggest things, if you've already got good management in your garden, in terms of you've got lots of nice plants, lots of nectaring plants for insects and things, a pond is, like, an absolute incredible oasis of life, and for the amount of land it takes up, you get so much in there. And it's also sequestering carbon because it is locked up in the substrate that ends up on the bottom of the pond. So you know, those are just a couple of things. But that book that you were waving before we started the podcast, Dave Goulson's book, *The Jungle Garden*,
1: a jungle it, garden, yes, is
0: is is absolutely, you know, that's awesome. Everyone should re- read that book and be inspired by that. Mm. Um, yeah
1: there's so much yeah that and in terms of wildflowers planting non uh well planting things that aren't laced with those neonicotinoid pesticides of course but so just like organic and specifically native wildflowers or just native flowers I think that's so important just making space for things in your garden right
0: absolutely yeah and then taking the time to just sit down um, watch and look and see what Uses the garden and exists in there, like you're saying, you know, it's so good for your mental health. So, Absolutely. yeah, and
1: are we in time? Are we in time to plug the big old butterfly watch, butterfly count? We might, oh, yeah,
0: we should plug that, shouldn't we? Right <laughs> at the end of the podcast, 9th <laughs> yeah. of August is the cutoff day Everyone, you know, get your yeah, records in. All you have to do is sit somewhere for 15 minutes and count the butterflies that you see. Um, yeah, brilliant citizen science initiatives. Are. I'm glad you remembered. Well done, Will. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, uh, just because I've seen oh, so many butterflies at the moment. Oh my
0: goodness! Yeah.
1: Friend Ted uh, asked me he saw a bloody large tortoise shell. Oh what? Up in Norfolk, so it's fine. Oh okay. But, um, okay. <laughs> otherwise, I'd be far too jealous. But yeah.
0: Oh, brilliant. What are we what we're going to be hearing from you this next week then? Well,
1: oh, don't ask me. I've got no idea. <laughs> we'll find something out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll find something. There's plenty to go at really, isn't there?
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) see you soon bye